Why, is, why did this Skype make it so the red button is hang up and decline? Why? So it's not, it's not just me, right? There is something very, 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 very not intuitive about the whole, all of the buttons, all the Skype buttons. It's, it's insane. Is it possible, I've never really thought about this, but is it possible that our iPhones, when someone calls, it's red? I don't know. Like, I why would I, so. why would a flashing red button say, be like, uh, don't, uh, don't click me? If, if it's well, flashing you know, red, you, it means click me. You, and because Dawn's there. You know, <laughs> damn it. You know, you know, you know what, you know what they say in the South? Uh, bless their heart. Mash that bless, button. <laughs> mash that button. Mash that button. Bless. <laughs> Uh, uh, that was almost you almost did a Joe Exotic uh, uh, voice. I, did I? I I'm not I'm not familiar with his work. I've not seen the show. It's true, but you were it, it was like you you channeled uh, the, uh, just being around it on on the internet. Um, uh, Don, uh, I, I let me tell you about today. This okay, is, this is yeah. it's only nine o'clock nine o four. Oh, I know, I know. So 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 you know what I did last night? I I was, <laughs> you have a few it, beers. I didn't. I, well, I mean, I had two. I had two beers. Two beers. Okay. Two beers. Um, I uh, I went for a run. You've been you've been cheering me on. Uh, we you little little known fact. You and I are uh, um, Apple Watch activity buddies, and so uh, so I've been running. I've been running a lot. Running away from my things, um, <laughs> and uh, and my fears. Uh, and and so I went for a run. Had a beer. Um, watch watch some TV. Uh, came up to my office, the uh, where where I currently am now, the my home office where I record podcasts and do other things, um, and uh, and I thought I'm gonna get I'm gonna get ready for the podcast. I'm gonna get my microphone out. I'm gonna plug it in. I'm going to get my stack of books, which uh, w are my, my which which is my microphone stand here in my office. I'm gonna get that ready. I even went and and got my my coffee pods ready. Like I I lined oh, up wow. to oh yeah oh oh I'm. I, for for whatever I've I've been very excited. I, I basically wake up when I wake up, right? For the for the most part, that not I don't set an alarm. Except today, I was like, I know I'm going to. We're we're recording a podcast. It's nine o'clock. If I wake up when I wake up, I might wake up at like eight fifty six. Um, and I th <laughs> this is like, from like Roderick on the line. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just like oh, you roll over and and start a podcast. Um, and so, but I, I, for, I, like, I was giddy about getting ready to talk to you. Um, so I got up this morning at like seven 30 and I, and I did what I normally do, which is part of my wake up routine, which is just go to social media and read as much Twitter as has happened in the last nine or 10 hours that I've been away from Twitter, check my email, go, go to the Facebook, go to Instagram. And, and it was like, after all that happened, it was like eight, eight Oh seven. And so, so I came <laughs> so you're like, Oh shoot. I got to go do something else. Yeah, yeah. So I, so I like came upstairs and I started reading. I went like I, I am so overly prepared for this podcast today. <laughs> uh, I read everything. I put new stuff in. I found new content. But, but it, it, it just what today has felt different because I, as much as I have like things I have to do at certain times. <laughs> I just I can pretty much roll out of bed Roderick style and do them. <laughs> Except today I was like, you know what, I'm going to, I, I, I really want to, I want to do this podcast. And, um, and I've been, 
we, we will we'll probably talk a little bit about this um, as we go along. But we had a, uh, a one at least one guest lined up for today, and then a substitute, <laughs> guest, and both of them availed. Um, but I was also like really excited for that conversation. So so anyway, yeah, I, they, uh, they had they had to they had to to decline because they had to go to a and you see what I'm doing with my fingers here. They had to go to a meeting for their work. Yeah, work oh meeting. my god! Oh, right? What is, like what's what's happening? What's happening? Anyway, hey, hey so speak, uh, speaking I, of something that I have to do for my work, um, here, here's something that you have not seen that, that would that would help me uh, and we can make it part of the show. Um, yeah, th- right. This is uh, this is some some real time um, uh, email from a uh, not a listener of the show, uh, but a, uh, a, a reporter. Uh, who's doing a, uh, story. Um, uh, and, and, and I, she, she asked me some questions and I responded and she says, uh, I'm, we want to take this story in a slightly more focused direction and really dig into the nitty gritty of Ben. She didn't say Ben. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, what's this article on? It's me. <laughs> What does Ben do in his office besides record podcasts? Um, uh, What exactly are disinfectant wipes or no. So the nitty gritty of disinfecting wipes. So, so, so Ben, she's got four questions for four or five or, you know, anyway, she's got, she's got four bullet points and six questions, which seven questions. I mean, Here's the thing. If you're going to do, I mean, no, no, Melanie, Melanie's great. Uh, She's one of my favorite reporters. Um, But why, why do people use bullet points and then put multiple questions in the same? I mean, it's the bill. Anyway, one question point, (laughs) one question point per bullet. That's what I have to say. Yeah. Um, So, so Ben, um, I want you to help me answer because Melanie's on a deadline. Um, Okay. Uh, 3 p.m. Uh, So we have time, but, but let's, let's do it on the show. Um, What exactly are disinfectant wipes? Wow. So I, I think a disinfectant wipe is a, uh, um, some sort of a disposable, um, uh, uh, fabric, um, <laughs> usually, usually like paper that has some sort of stand up ability that's, uh, that's covered in, in disinfectant that instead of me as a person, um, whether I'm a consumer or someone who works in the food industry, instead of me spraying something and then having to go find a paper towel or a rag, it's all, it's an all in one, uh, system. And, uh, the, the disinfectant is at the, at the right concentration, um, in, in my, in my wipe. So I just pull it out of the out of the little container and uh, and wipe away, um, and and maybe this gets to because this is how I answer questions. Um, maybe this will get to one of uh, Melanie's further bullets. But one of my one of the things that I like about a wipe is that it it allows me to to put some friction into my uh, into my wiping um, as opposed to just uh, spraying it on and, and letting it sit. And in certain cases, that's a good thing. And in other cases, it might be something I got to worry about. Uh, talk more about that. Yeah, yeah. So, so one of the things that uh, w- w- one of the things that I that I see related to list N, um, and and we'll link to list N as we have I think the last four or five shows. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the honestly, it's the best of all the lists. It's my favorite. It's I mean, list don't don't <laughs> list O is terrible. Uh, list L is I mean amongst the worst, but list N is is phenomenal. List N is the uh, EPA list of disinfect disinfectants that are registered against uh, coronavirus or registered for coronavirus. Um, so, so on that list, they talk, uh, the EPA, um, uh, has a, has a whole column about contact time. And so certain compounds need certain contact times to be effective as disinfectants. And sometimes a disinfecting wipe, um, might 
might have the type of compound in it that uh, it doesn't um, uh, that needs more time for for contact time and needs to be sprayed. And sometimes it's okay. It depends on it depends on the compound. But a but a wipe at least allows for some friction for me to remove any uh, any soil um, or, or any, um, any biofilms or anything else that's, that's there. And so I think in, when we're looking at bacterial pathogens versus, um, you know, surface deposited viruses, I think it's, it's, it's a little bit different in, um, in, in my, in my view and looking at the, the product, it's, it's hard to sort of generalize around all disinfecting wipes or all sanitizing wipes that they're all equally as effective because the compound matters and the contact time matters. Right. And, and so what, so here, here's what I've written, um, while you were talking, um, I, I think what are disinfectant wipes? It depends what it says on the label, right? Like if I go, for example, if I go into Amazon right now and I type in disinfectant wipes, I see a whole lot of thing, things, many of which are not wipes at all. They're pods, they're tie pods or something. Um, <laughs> and many of things which are wipes, but which are not disinfectant wipes. They're labeled as cleaning wipes, right? Um, and so right. I think people need to be very, very clear just because something looks like a wipe read the label, right? Um, and because if it says, and so this, and this gets to this, her, Melanie's second question, is there any research that points to their efficacy? If, if it says disinfectant on the label and it's sold in the United States, that's regulated by EPA and it, it has to do something, right? It has to, it has to, it's going to have a label, that label is going to have language from the EPA that says, you know, use of this product in a manner inconsistent with the label is a violation of federal law, blah, 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 something like that. That, right. And right, so right. is there research that points second question for Melanie, which I'll let you answer in a minute. Is there any research that points to their efficacy? If it's actually technically a really an, a, an official disinfectant wipe, then yeah, there is research. And, and, those, and, and the way that research is done um, is tightly regulated by by EPA. Right, right, right. And, and there are on that list end, there are some products that are wipes, right? That they've right. been listed as they've been uh, evaluated as a wipe. Um, and, and I mean, I think you, I think you nailed the, the, the nuance of this, which is it, it's it, what just call it. It's, it's like, um, an, an analogy that I'll, that I'll use is one that I like to, um, share with people around home food preservation and maple bacon jam. Mm. So, right. Right. So I can call, uh, I can make some maple bacon jam and I can call it a jam, but it doesn't make it the, a jam in the physical sense of here's what the water activity of that jam is that that allows uh, or that that will reduce the the chance that that pathogens will grow. Just because I call it a jam doesn't make it a jam, and and this is the the same thing. I can call it a wipe, or or in fact I can take the and this is where I think things get get messy. I can take the disinfectant and I can put it into a package with wipes. And, and now I may have changed the efficacy of it because I am changing the contact time of it. It, it, it. And what gets evaluated from from what I understand uh, to get on the list end is is the whole package. Right. So um, and this the, you know, let me let me go down the 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 this path a little bit, because I got a question from an extension agent a couple of weeks ago um, and and she sent me a Facebook image that was shared um, that that had to do with disinfecting wipes that was if you don't have disinfecting wipes um, cut a you know take take some bleach 
and put it into uh, a container that that'll hold the bleach, like uh, some sort of a, an old, you know, milk ga- milk gallon jug, um, and then take take some paper towels, and I don't I didn't fully understand this, but like cut through the side of the paper towels, and I guess it's to make one wipe, um, and then stick the the paper towels in this jug. And and then just pull a paper towel off, and then now you have a disinfecting wipe. Mm, and, no, I think right, you have a right. paper towel that's been in a milk jug with some Clorox. I think that's right, what, technically right. what you have there. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, and, and, and so, I, so I kind of had to like go down this, like talk talk through this, and say, well, you know, I I, I I see how this could be confusing, and I see how this this does get this complicated because what what. Um, you know, whoever, Clorox, who, you know, Procter and Gamble, whoever's going to make these, what they do is not, not exactly what you just described. It might seem that like that's what they're doing, but they're, they're putting the disinfectant in at a specific concentration and they're testing that concentration with the packaging over time as someone removes uh, a wipe to make sure that when you get to the end of the, uh, of your wipe, um, container that that you still have uh, disinfectant around that it still has efficacy, and and once you start like m- messing around with the you know how it's constructed, all bets are off, right? Like like maybe it works, maybe it doesn't work, but I but I wouldn't be comfortable calling this a disinfectant wipe. And then I kind of like took like I, I I pulled back a little bit and I was like, why are you doing this? Like why why can't you just make Clorox? Uh, you know, or a, a chlorine solution, um, and put it into a spray bottle and take some paper towels with you. And now you have, you know, a wipe possibility. And, uh, you, you now know that you're making something as per, um, uh, best, best practices and, and, you know, the, using a disinfectant concentration, um, with a chlorine based, uh, um, spray like CDC has suggested, which is around a thousand PPM and, and you got it. Like, why do you need to put it into a milk gallon? Like, it seems like you're getting really complicated because you want to wipe, but I, but why don't you just do this? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so, and I'll, we'll, we, I don't want to link to any one particular thing on, on Amazon, but so when I, when I, when I type in disinfectant wipes into Amazon, um, the first, the first thing that comes up is a sponsored thing for, uh, disinfectant, wet wipe, cleaning wipes, large portable hand wipes for cleaning hands, computer, mobile phone, something, something. Um, <laughs> right. But, I, but when I click on that, um, it doesn't, it doesn't actually tell me, doesn't actually show me an EPA kind of label. And it's, it says sterilization rate of 99.99%. But then when you click through, there's a, uh, a purification thing that shows the different layers of purification, which is not at all, I mean, it's weird. It's so, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't anyway, it, it looks, it just, it looks, it just gives, I say, I, it gives me, I just, I, I don't think it's correct. So, and then uh, the next one is, uh, cleaning wipes and then another cleaning wipes and then furniture wipes and then, <laughs> uh, uh, bleach packs, right. Which are, which are not there for putting in your washing machine, but the good, the good news is they're currently unavailable. Um, okay. The next, one, the next one is, is a uh, uh, probiotic all-purpose cleaner, um, oh. so, which, again, is a cleaner, not a not. – and then there's a heavy-duty cleaning wipes, um, and there's a pre-moistened cleaning wipes. There's a – oh, here's an antibacterial hand wipe. 
right? Oh, so now this is lots, right? And, like, and yeah. well, and and it's antibacterial, and it's for your hands, right? And so don't use it on surfaces. I mean, you can use it on surfaces, but it but it might not work, right? Right. The, the next item is paper towels. <laughs> which okay. are which, which oh which, which are, by the way are, are currently unavailable um <laughs> which you could wipe things with which you could wipe things with and then the next thing and this is kind of the point that i wanted to get to it's a book on homemade disinfectant sprays and wipes whoa right? so anyway so so yeah a lot of things out there when you search for disinfectant wipes uh, amazon in its effort to be helpful is giving you a lot of choices most of which are not disinfecting wipes so wow. anyway, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Holy that that's really like, that's some, some interesting stuff. And, and I, and I think this is so, so let, let me, let's connect this to one, to one of the most popular questions that we get, mm -hmm. which is, should I be spraying and disinfecting and wiping down my cereal boxes? Oh, well, can, can actually, let me, let me, let me ask you, um, Melanie's next question, which, oh, okay. which actually yeah. would, would, would actually, it's her next bullet point, which contains a bunch of questions. Um, would love to know your thoughts on them, meaning disinfectant wipes in terms of general house cleaning versus in the event that someone in the home has COVID, right? Mm -hmm. Um, for example, are they good for general bathroom cleaning? cleaning, but not great for other situations. So they work well for everything because of a certain ingredient they contain. In other words, when and how should disinfectant wipes be utilized in the home and why? Okay. And part of that is probably wh where you're going to go to with cereal boxes. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this is the, like what you just kind of went through on Amazon. And one of the things that, um, if you have been ordering, groceries or going to the grocery store, you know, you, you I, I've seen, um, there's just a, a general unavailability of, of any sort of disinfectant or, or surface sanitizer. Like it's all of it, right? Like there just isn't stuff available, um, off the shelf. So, so all of a sudden I know that the, the supply is really low and, and exactly where Melanie's next question is going is what I want to do is make sure if I do have some sort of wipes that I have that, that, that are, um, the right types of wipes that, that have the right compound, something that's on list N that, that someone hasn't like made in a janky way by putting it into a, a milk gallon, uh, jug, um, I, I want to keep them for if someone in my family gets sick. Like that's, it's exactly it. That's, that's, I, I'm not doing anything in my home any different. And I think social distancing has really helped this, right? Like I, I know that the, the, um, bringing the virus into my home has very few roots. Um, and it's any time that, that either Danny and I leave, leave the compound here and, and that I can control um, to, to the best, like, I guess my best way to, to manage it is I can, I, I can control that, um, those transmission routes with, with hand washing. And if I happen to be like, in a if I went to a doctor's office and someone was coughing around me now, all of a sudden, maybe, maybe I'm like going to change my clothes when I, when I come home or, or something. Um, but, but I, I really want to preserve any of these wipes that I do have. And this is how I've been answering this, this question about grocery store uh, or groceries and, and wiping them off and using disinfectant is like, if, if someone in my family happens to get sick because of this, you know, unlikely, um, because, because we, we messed up in, in controlling the transmission route somehow, um, then I want to have sanitizing wipes then. So I, the rest of us don't get sick. Like, that's it. That's all I, that, that's what I would use them for. I'm not using them in my normal everyday 
um, you know, managing stuff in my kitchen or managing um, my Amazon packages uh, from a, a you know from a safety standpoint. And and I do. It's not to say that I'm not doing those things. I'm cleaning. I'm I'm using a um, dish soap on on my surfaces just like I would in normal food safety times. Um, I I am I do use like a chlorine based spray, um, pretty much daily, depending on what we've been making almost always after I'm, um, doing any sort of, uh, raw meat mm-hmm. handling in my kitchen. And that's it. Like that's, that's what I'm doing, right? Like there's no, I, I, I don't have a role for sanitizing wipes or disinfecting wipes, um, right now. And, uh, but, but if I had some, I'm going to keep them in, in case I do need them. Yeah. And, and in related to that, actually, um, my, my mother-in-law, <laughs> my wife's lovely mother, who was a bit of a prepper, um, actually had in, in her stockpile, um, some N95 masks, right? And she sent some to us. And I mean, obviously the, probably the, the technically the right thing to do, um, would be to give them to a hospital, but we're going to save them, um, on the off chance that one of us gets COVID-19 because yep. then the other one of us is going to wear the N95 mask while we, while we care for them. Right. Yeah, so right. kind of like your strategy with the disinfectant wipes, right? Like these are, these are, the, this is the regular, I, I don't know if you can see, I'm doing a, I'm doing a, um, I'm doing a, a letter Kenny meme. Okay. We're at this level. Okay. Um, and we, we're, we gotta be prepared in case we have to go to this level. Yeah. Got it. I got it. I, I'm seeing it in my mind. I'm seeing, I got it. Uh, yeah, well, and I think that's, that's it, right? Like, why would I waste my N95 mask if I do have two or three or whatever of them, um, by using them at the grocery store, um, or in in, in, when I'm cutting my grass or whatever, right? Like I I want, exactly. Like, I, 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 I agree with that, with that strategy. And that's, this is something that I've realized, you know, so I've got, I've got some questions for you today too, because, um, I've got to do, I have to do a webinar tomorrow and, um, in, cause that's what we do now is webinars, right? I got, I got a webinar. I got a webinar today, Don, mm-hmm. I got a webinar tomorrow. Uh, and I got a webinar on Thursday. Well, here's uh, the, here's the thing, Ben. I, I was all prepped to do a webinar <clears throat> for our good friend, uh, Michelle Danilak. Yeah. Um, and I was preparing slides for my webinar. And then I said, Michelle, do you need my slides for the webinar? And she says, well, it's actually a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's like a webinar, but without, uh, without slides. So yeah, yeah. Okay. So I sent her my slides anyway, and she's gonna and we'll we'll we're gonna post the slides as show notes. Um, I'm not gonna actually do a webinar, but we're gonna post the slides as show notes so that I can in my in my discussion I can refer to certain slides and also completely un- well not unrelated to microbiology, but completely unrelated to uh, to to COVID nineteen. This is actually about agricultural water. So. Anyway, oh, nice. Nice. Said, well, you know, I had this thought. So one more question from one more bullet point from Melanie, which is three, three, four questions. Um, but um, I, I just I had the realization this morning. It's it's a great time to be a microbiologist. I mean, it, it I mean, it's a scary time, but I I'm so glad that I decided to be a microbiologist because I can I can I can't understand all of the the, the, the SARS-CoV-2 stuff, but I can understand enough of it to kind of know what's going on and be helpful for people. So anyway, just, it just, maybe it was the first cup of coffee, but I just had this realization. It's like, oh, you know, it's cool to be a microbiologist like right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's cool to be, it's cool to be like, 
a microbiologist. It's cool to be in public health. It's cool to be in, in epidemiology, like just understanding the, yeah. the background of what's, of what's happening. And then being able to, to answer some of the, the questions, You're right? Like just being helpful, like not just helpful that we, or we try to be helpful in our professional role, right? Like that's, I think where, where you and I focus a lot of our outreach efforts is, is answering questions, whether that's, um, in, in a, a, a personal way with, with the food industry or other stakeholders or, or with the media. Um, and, but it's also nice to be helpful to like folks who, who you are like my hockey parent friends and, and neighbors who, who text. And, and then there are just like question, people are, are uncertain. People are worried, right? Like they, and they just want some like level of assurance or some, uh, someone who's nominally an expert or, or expert adjacent to, to help them through stuff. And you're right. Like that's there that I, I've probably fielded or, and fielded questions probably not even the right way. It's like I've had more conversations about just general stuff, um, in microbiology as it relates to this than, than normal. Um, and, and it is, yeah, it, it is kind of nice to be around it. One, um, okay. So let's go back to All Melanie. Right. So I yeah. So, so stuff. Melanie's last bullet point <clears throat> If you think there's COVID present in the home, uh, should you be using disinfectant wipes on surfaces and then antibacterial wipes and soaps for your hands? Or given that there's no indication whether or not the antibacterial product kills viruses, is hand washing with plain old soap okay for personal care? Um, let, let me, <clears throat> what would call, give me your answer and then I'll tell you mine. Yeah, so I mean, mine, mine, mine would be, um, well, it kind of depends on what the source is, right? So if I think that that if, if I've got someone who and just going back to, to what we were talking about before, if I if, if one of us and my family, if one of us is positive, then I would say I have an um, a uh, a source that is it's the gift that keeps on giving. It is constantly putting out virus. It being one of my dirty little children, um, <laughs> and uh, and 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 putting it on surfaces and spreading it around. Um, and and so I think I'm using um, my my disinfectant wipes differently than if I happen to be in a situation where I thought I was bringing it into my home. Like that's the, like the, the part of this, this question that makes it hard is uh, I, the only way that I would know and, and manage it in, in the way that I would use disinfecting wipes is if I had someone who, who was either ill or positive. Um, I, I would, I would just rely on hand washing for, for all other management of this because the virus isn't going to move on its own, um, in my, in my house. So, and I would just use plain old water. Um, and, and yeah, and soap, and and soap. So, okay. And so, yeah. Not, and yes. Uh, plain old soap and water, not, not, I, and what I mean is I'm not using alkaline water or acid water. No, just, yeah. Well, soap and water, um, in, in, in my normal, like, uh, uh, right, re regular management, but how would, so, so how, how would you, answer? how are you going to answer? I, I exactly the same way I said, <clears throat> If you think there's COVID-19, uh, I'd say normal hand washing with soap, any type will do, right? If you have, if you, whatever, what, you know, smoke them if you got them, right? Whatever, whatever kind of soap you have on hand. And then um, I would, uh, the only thing, that wrinkle that I added is remember that hand sanitizer plus hand washing is a good idea, right? So if somebody yep. is actively sick in your home, I'm going to be hitting the, the soap and water more often. I'm going to be hitting the hand sanitizer more often. Um, I, uh, uh, I, I scored a giant bottle from uh, Wegmans um, when, when, back when, they had it or actually was actually after they didn't have it and then they briefly had it. So I scored a giant bottle, which I, we've been steadily working our way through. 
And then the only thing I would add on top of that is remember to moisturize, right? Because if you're washing your hands a lot, if you're using hand sanitizer a lot, um, your hands are going to become more, more dry. And so be sure to have some product on hand for moisturizing your hands as well, because you want to keep that helps to keep them healthy. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And that, so I, I got a couple of questions, um, this week about like, uh, actually let me, let me pull one out cause this one was really, was really interesting. And it was about someone who had, um, access to, um, I think it was either ethanol, uh, at like, uh, 80% for not like reasons that, that we would, um, look at as a, as a sanitizer constituent. Let me, let me see if I can find this. Um, ingredients for sanitizer. Uh, okay. So, so basically I, I've got pictures of it. So it's, it's, it's not, it's not, it's 80% or sorry, 90% ethanol and it is from a farmer and it's a, a it, it is, it says it's a big, like five gallon bucket and it's called ripener one concentrate. And on the label, it says for use with Arco ethylene generators, produce ethylene gas to accelerate, accelerate ripening of bananas, avocados, papayas, melons, tomatoes, citrus, pears, and tobacco, uh, active ingredient, ethanol, 90% inert ingredients, 10% total, 100%. Um, and, and so the, the question that I got from, from, uh, an extension agent was a farmer has contacted me. He has a bunch of this stuff. Can we turn this into hand sanitizer for, for people. And, and so what, what it kind of started was he wants to give it to cooperative extension so we can make mm -hmm, it into hand sanitizer mm -hmm. and give it out to people. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, do the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. We're not really. And, and also he has uh, another bottle because, uh, he, he looked at our, um, our, uh, WHO guidance and he also has, uh, uh 10 uh, pounds of vegetable glycerin as well. <laughs> which is which is called nature's oil. Um, what's the what's the name of the first product again? It is it is ripener either well, I think it's right ripener one concentrate. One the number or spelled out that word? No, the one the number. Like it's it's like ripener I concentrate maybe. Um why don't I just send you the No, the, I'm, I'm 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 oh it's got it's got an EPA product label. It does. It does. <laughs> yeah. Uh and, uh, it, yeah, or so it's, it's a gallon EPA. It's got a registered number, number five, eight, five, zero, two dash one. Um, and so, so this is like a really, like it, it all, it all starts great. Like how can I turn this 90% ethanol into hand sanitizer and can you do it for me mm -hmm. is really the, the question. And not, not like, you know, not like, Hey, I don't want to do it. It's, it's a, you, you guys are closer to this. Can we, can we do it? And I was like, well, you know, we're not really in the business of making sanitizer and giving mm -hmm. it to people. Mm -hmm. Like for, first of all, that, like, it seems like that there's a lot of logistics, uh, associated with that. I think we're, you know, if, if he wants to make some, some sanitizer, that's great. But, but what I got and, and this is you, what you reminded me of when we talked about, um, the moisturizer and using mm -hmm. over and over again, what, what I don't know, and is what are the inert inert ingredients and and is it inert it, what what do inert ingredients do in repeated use i know they're inert but they're not inert for 
like moisturizing hands. Right. And is this right. is that is that going to be a problem? Right. Um, with this. So and so what I'm yeah. what I'm finding from the ripener one MSDS, which we will link to, which is from ripening.com, it looks like the other ingredients are isopropyl alcohol and ethyl acetate, which which makes sense, right? Because yeah, yep. this is ethyl alcohol, um, which you can drink and get drunk from, and so but it's probably not sold with a tax label on it, which means that you have to put denaturing agents. I think that's what you call them, right? Um, I think that yeah yeah. yeah denaturing yeah. agents, which don't denature any, well, they might, anyway, they don't denature the alcohol, but, but it basically make it unfit for drinking. Right. And ethyl acetate, I believe that's a, that's a flavor, right? Isn't that a really strong is it is it a master? Yeah, uh, ethyl acetate. Uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll we'll research that on the show um, because this is two guys reading from the internet. Um, yep. Yeah, so I, I I guess I would cautiously say okay to do, but I yeah I mean I would want to talk to some toxicologists first, maybe right. just to be sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and and that's like that was the sort of the thing. It's like this, and you know, we're not talking about like he's got a couple of gallons of this, right? Five gallons. So so the the amount of sanitizer, the amount of good that's coming out of it is is probably pretty low, like, mm-hmm. and that that sounds terrible, but like like the you know, it's not like we're we're trying to take. Um, Oh, I don't know, sixty thousand gallons of ripener and and make, um, you know, whatever the that would lead to mm-hmm. in in you know sixty thousand gallons of sanitizer and give that away free. We're we're talking about a fairly low amount, and I was like, you know, I don't want to. It, it seems like there's a lot of work for us to figure this out for the outcome. And it it depends, right? It depends how critically short of hand sanitizer are we? How much Mm. of this product is there? Do is that is this the best use of our time now to prioritize doing this, um, right? And I have I have some information from on ethyl acetate um, from the Internet Science site, as it's called. Um, uh, this is commonly used in glues, nail po- nail polish removers, and the decaffeination process for coffee and tea. Um, uh-huh. It is not that um, uh, it is not terribly uh, highly toxic. Okay, the LD50 for rats is fifty six twenty milligrams per kilogram. Right. And that's for the rats consuming it. So that's a lot of milligrams. Right. So um, I would. Yeah. So I would say um, it's a pretty uh, it's probably okay to use in hand sanitizer. But again, like, is that really do we really want to be in the business of doing this? Right. 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 Well, and and so also so it's a um, a, from the uh, PubChem uh, website here. Um, it's also uh, uh, a, a solvent, right? Mm-hmm. And so what does it do when I now add in, I'm trying to make my sanitizer. Um, I'm now, and it's like the answer is we need to talk to a toxicologist or a chemist. Right. Um, but what does it do when I add glycerin? What does it do when I, you know, when I make this, this concoction of sanitizer? Does it, are there any effects there? And and maybe the answer is absolutely none, but that's not something that I have the um, that it's, it's, it's outside of my, my area. It's outside of my, my knowledge, uh, um, uh, comfort zone. And so, so that, that was what I kind of said. I was like, you know, this, this is really, really nice. Um, I don't, I don't think that it's probably worth us and, and, you know, um, coming up with a step to do, to, to, to uh, divert this ripener at the extension center for, for you to come up. We have to come up with a little bit of a different formulation because we're now starting with, 
um, 90% ethanol, and that's not what the um, the WHO uh, recipe is. So it's and that's that's calc- we can calculate it. That that part's a, you know not right. not surmountable, but but it, it is going to take some some extra some extra work on on all sides on this. And and it's maybe that's not the best use of everybody's time. Maybe it's just like you know maybe we could spend the same amount of time um, uh, just you know finding more sanitizer or or whatever. Well, yeah. right, and it, and again, it comes down to a matter of scale. If it, it would be one thing if the uh, ripener company contacted you to say, look, we're, we're, you know, we're not selling this product anymore. We have excess capacity. We want to retool for making hand sanitizer and supply all of the hospitals in North Carolina. And there's a critical need for hand sanitizer, right? So that versus a one-off trying to help, trying to help a farmer who's admittedly, you know, trying to do a good thing here. Yeah. Yeah. Like, absolutely. Yes. And I think that's the, you know, is it, it do you have five gallons of this or do you have 60 gallons, 60,000 gallons? Gallon right. Of it, exactly. Right? Yeah. 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 Ab- absolutely. Now we're in a, now we're in a different situation. Um, but it's so, yeah, I mean, I think that the, you, you, you know, one thing that's really stuck with me on, on what the one thing that you said today that was really good, Don. Um, oh, the one it, thing, <laughs> no, but but it's like we're it, it is a very interesting time to be part of this because you and I are experiencing something that many of our colleagues are right. Like we are we are very we are at least close to this. We can figure some of this stuff out. And so people come to us and ask these questions and not again, not just us. It's it's our hundreds of of food safety and microbiology colleagues out there that that are um, you know across the the U.S. and across the world that that are finding themselves in a position to to be able to answer some of these questions. And and I think we're getting lots of these types of things. Like, how do we? How, what what can we do? How do we move some of this stuff forward? What are the what are the practical things that that we can um, suggest to people? And 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 what? How do we answer this very specific question? Right? Like like someone's coming up with with different thoughts about this and and does will this work or what are the what are the drawbacks of of doing this and and that part has been it like it's like a it's like a faucet, right? Like that's, that's just rushing. Like there's no, there's no shortage of asks. There's no shortage of, of things for us to, to focus on. And it's, and it becomes, I, you, you know, I, I'll speak for, for me, it, it becomes overwhelming some days, right? Like, because mm-hmm. there's another 40 or 50 questions or things to, to look at. And, and, and there's, there's just a lot, like, because it's such a, a major focus for everyone. Um, it's, it's been, uh, that that's been very, um, a, a, a unique experience and it continues to be right. We're six or eight weeks into this and it, and it continues to be the same, like different questions, harder questions, I think. Um, and, and they're, and they keep coming. Right. Right. Um, so, so speaking of which I have a couple of things. Sure. And, and, and I absolutely want to talk about meat plants today. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're going to, okay. that, that is something that we've, we've got to, we, and I want to talk we'll about, put, put a pin in that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're going to put a pin in that. Okay. So, so, so I've got, I'm doing this webinar mm-hmm. um, and, and it's about like, you know, the, the concept of, of, of how do we reopen restaurants, oh, right? Like yes. an, an overused, you know, how do we reopen the economy, Don? Um, it's an overused statement. Um, but, right away but, uh, as fast as possible. <laughs> it is. The, the cure can't be uh, worse than the, than the illness, right? Um, uh, uh Okay, so 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 the so the webinar that that I'm doing later this week includes um, a, a section on 
here are three questions. Tell me, tell, tell me three questions that, uh, that you are getting asked a lot. And what are three things that you think are lasting long-term um, uh, impacts from this, from, from this outbreak? And it's really, really focused on, on restaurants, I, I would say. And so, so I'll give you a couple of things that, that, that I've, I've sort of pitched out of these questions. And, and one of the things you, you and I were, were part of um, a conference call that led to a task force on uh, reopening uh, uh, restaurants for the National Restaurant Association. Uh, let, me, let me let me correct you there. We were we were on a conference call that was a task force. Correct. Okay. Correct. That, the, the, the task force did its all of its work during the conference call, and it was only later that we actually learned that we were on a task force for that brief amount of time. Right, right. I think shortest, I shortest I task, task force I've ever been on, Ben. Yeah. I think I knew I was on a task force. I just thought that the, the process was going to be longer, longer, more iterative. Um, so, so anyway, like, so during that process, we, we spent some time, uh, talking with a bunch of folks. There's a, there was a document that came out. And one of the things that in that task force, um, I, both of us, I think really highlighted was it's not, it's really, it's going to be really difficult for us to answer things in a generic way. And that's, you know, you want to keep it like without specifics because you want it to be all encompassing. But the real questions that, that I'm getting that, that I think you're getting are, yeah, that's great. So I should practice social distancing in my restaurant when it reopens. How the hell do I do that? What, like, give me, what are the, what does that mean? What are the specifics? Does that mean I should have, I should take out, um, you know, 60% of the tables and stack them up in the corner? Um, what do I, do I draw things on the, on the floor? And, and I think that the, where, where we are with some of the, some of the guidance is, and, and it has to be generic to be, um, to apply to everybody and you don't want to be very specific, but the, but the, but the questions that, that I'm getting over and over again, like what, just tell me exactly what we should be doing. And, and the hardest part about that answer for me is it really depends on what you're doing and, and it depends on your situation and it depends on like the makeup of your, of, of your location. And, you know, and, and this comes down to like the social distancing question, should I put condiments on the table? Do I need to do something different with menus? Tell me what I'm supposed to do. And, and it's one of these, like, we, I don't, I don't know. I need you to think about these things. How, how are you going to manage the cleaning and sanitizing of condiments uh, and disinfection and, and tables and, and, and how will you keep people away from from each other? And and I think I'll 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 transition transition this to um, to colleges and universities and and schools because one of the things that, that we we have been talking about in faculty meetings and in in other settings is um, okay. So say we limit the number of people in a classroom, right? Let's get them to sit far apart from each other. That's that's great. But what happens when all of the classes in a building end at the same time and, and you've got all even a fifth of the people that are there, they're still walking very close to each other for not a short amount of time in a in a closed amount of space um, from from class to class. Like it's not just about the classes. Right. It's about it's about the whole thing. And so so one of the like the biggest question that I that I think I'm. I'm getting and it's the hardest, I think it's the hardest ones to answer are, well, what, yeah, okay, this is great. I should do this. What does that mean? What are the, what are the specifics? Um, and then, you know, is there a one-stop shop that I can find all the details on this and what I should be doing? And it's like, no, there, there really isn't. Um, there, there are 
places to start. And, and again, uh, the way that I'm looking at it is these are the things you should be thinking about and these are the things you should be looking at. So, so anyway, what are like, what, what do you, what, what's your, what's your reaction to that? And, and are there, are there questions that you are getting over and over again from, from the, you know, the restaurant industry or from in stakeholders that, that you would put on your, on your list of, of questions. Cause I need to, I need to give another one. Right. So I want <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so a couple of reactions to this. So I I've, I've shared this on, on Twitter and I will, I will share it with you now. You may have seen it already. I put it into the Dropbox for a discussion. Um, there is uh, a document, um, from Harvard, the, uh, Safra center for Eth ethics entitled road roadmap to pandemic resilience, yes. which is a really good document. Right. And then, um, even if you don't want to read the document, I highly, highly recommend the explainer video from Vi Hart, who is a mathematician, um, and she basically um, this explains the whole process of writing the report and and how it came to be. And it's really it's really good. And I'm not a I'm not a big fan of videos. I would much rather read something. But this was actually it had it had some cool animations, and it was just it's it just really really good. Um, and then. Uh, I would also suggest that you follow um, Vi on Twitter. Uh, she has 65,000 followers, but she also has a protected account. Um, so I'm wondering if maybe she hasn't been harassed and that's the reason she, she took her, her account to be in protected status. But um, she describes herself in her Twitter bio as a math musician and virtual reality philosopher. She just seems like, and I had never heard of her before, but she seems like a really interesting uh, individual. So um, I have not been getting too many questions about this reopening. What I have been doing is I've been working with some um, lawyer friends of mine uh, that was that I work with on a lawsuit, and these guys are um, basically preparing for the deluge of lawsuits that are to come. And I've been organizing a webinar for them um, and and their uh, their colleagues um, basically. On, um, let me see what's the language they keep using. Um, well, basically, they, they know there's going to be a lot of lawsuits about restaurants that were made to close and 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 insurance. So so these yeah, yeah. These, these are insurance lawyers, and so the task that I've been given to do to deliver on next week is basically a webinar that starts with what is a virus <laughs> okay. right, right. and yeah. how is it different from a bacterial cell um, all the way through like, you know, disinfection, survival times, um, all the stuff that we've been talking about, right. Um, a little bit on how it's spread um, so that these, uh, that these lawyers can be properly prepared for the, the, the lawsuits that they're going to be dealing with, which, which feels a little scummy, right. To be doing that. But uh, you know, but, but I mean, uh, my job is to get science out into the world and this is, this is the audience that's asking me. So it's not, it's not like I'm turning down advice from restaurants on how to reopen right. because they're not coming to me. They're coming to you, which is fine. Um, but apparently the <laughs> lawyers are coming to me, <laughs> yeah. um, which is okay. I mean, they're, these are, these are nice guys. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's, uh, that's what I, what I've been thinking about is how to, how to distill And again, it's, it's just, a, it's just another wrinkle of what we've been doing, right? Like how to distill the communication that we've been doing in a way uh, that, that works for communicating um, to, to quote-unquote regular people who in this case happen to be insurance company lawyers. Right, right. And they're, that's, it's, all, it's all part of what makes the world go round, right? Like you, like you said, it's, it's, 
getting good scientific information to those individuals so they can be, you know, do their job the way that they're supposed to do. And, I'm, and it, I'm, yeah. Yeah. And it might, it might surprise you, Ben, there's not a lot of case law on this. <laughs> right. Right. Well, um, COVID, what, yeah. what, what, what there is, there is case law on asbestos, right? Huh. Which is, which is a, a, a tiny little thing that is sometimes responsible for closing buildings. Right. Um, right. There's also some case law on mold, which is a microorganism that mm-hmm. infests buildings. Right. But guess what? Like COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2 is not like either of – it's sort of like those two things, but not really, right? And right, so, right. And so, of course, it's up to the lawyers to parse the case law aspects of this, right? But, but, but again, my job is to make sure that they, that they, 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 are, they, have, they have the appropriate science. Is there – so uh, part of this, is there a case law on Legionella or Legionnaire's disease? That's a, it's, that's a good question. Cause that would be like, it's like mold, but it's, it's a little bit different, right? Like, and it's a red, well, mold can be respiratory as well. It's, but, but that would, that would be part of the picture. That's a, I'm, you um, know, I'm going to, I'm going to email my lawyer friends about that, that very same question. There you go. There you go. There's, I've, I've, uh, I've, I've done my, my job for today. Um, so, so, okay. All right. So the second part of the webinar, um, the questions are, um, things about long lasting effects. And I want to get you, you, you gave me, you gave me a nugget in the, um, uh, yesterday in the, um, uh, super secret Dropbox file, um, about buffets. And this is, so this is an article that was in the daily mail, um, yesterday. And the the headline is buffets banned, no water jugs and no standing on buses. (laughs) That part doesn't make (laughs) a lot of sense to me. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I love that. That's part of why I put it in there. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, the big changes to your everyday life that could be brought after coronavirus lockdown, uh, restrictions are relaxed. And, and one of the things that I've really, I really see, and this, this goes back to one of the very first webinars that I did with an industry that I had not connected with before. And I think I talked about this on a, on a, a couple episodes ago, but, but I did a webinar for, um, uh, uh, event planners that work right. with, um, you know, conferences and, and big venues. And, and, and so we had a, a full like 20 or 30 minute conversation about like, you know, this was before things were, were for, this was like mid, mid, um, March, uh, before, um, we were still having events and they're like, so should we just not have buffets? And I was like, yeah, you should not have buffets. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, That's a really good thing to not do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then the, the next one was, okay, but what about like, will we ever have buffets again? And I'm like, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, but, but here, here are the things that, that I think about and, and it, it's common in restaurants, it's common in events, it's common at grocery stores. It's these high touch, um, surfaces that are self-serve. The way that I look at it is every transaction, every time I scoop, like I'm going to get some mashed potatoes on my plate. I have to touch that. I can't go with my own service because I'm, you know, maybe leading to allergen issues. So, so the only way for me to, to do this is grab that, that tong and, 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 and maybe, you know, unless, unless I have a way, another way to manage it, like switching out tongs or, or scoops in between every individual or ensuring that there's hand sanitizer, uh, prior to and post, um, buffet line, I think, and, and, and that's, that's just the surfaces. What about like 40 or 60 or 80 people all standing beside each other in line waiting for service? Maybe there won't be buffets for, for quite some time. And, and that like, so, so that's one that I, that I'm like preparing 
you know, to talk about as I think that the, how we, it, it's not, do, are they going to be banned? It's, it's revisiting self-service and scoops and, and tongs and as part of this. And, and so, so, you know, this article made me, made me think about it. I, I, I don't know. I don't have any insight on whether regulatory wise, this is something that's that's going to happen. And my guess is there's going to be a lot of pushback from, you know, I live in the South. There's a lot of like cafeteria style, buffet style restaurants um, with a lot of self-service that that I think will very um, will lobby very hard and effectively to not have it be a regulatory thing. Um, that's my guess here. Um, yeah, but, the, but revisiting it's going to be important. Yeah, and the 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 analogy that I want to make here, which is the first time that I ever really thought about buffets uh, from from a cross contamination standpoint, which was on cruise ships, right? And and basically, I think it was at the um, this was when it was still Mike Doyle's center, uh, now Francisco Diaz Gonzalez Center uh, at University of Georgia, and there was a speaker from one of the cruise lines talking about norovirus, and they said, yeah, what we've gone to do is for like the first five days of the cruise, we don't let people self-serve. We have, yep, we are, yep. they are served by staff members that we know are not infected with norovirus. And so what that does is it avoids that initial part of the cruise when you might inoculate a whole bunch of people, right? And now people are still going to come on the cruise when they're developing norovirus because, you know, people don't, don't want to lose their money. Um, which, you know, gets to another question of like, what's the, maybe the best, what's a, what's a better way to manage that risk. But, but the idea is that simply not doing away with buffets, but basically making sure that the people serving you from the buffet are infection free, right. Or as infection, infection free as possible for a window of time until we know that we're kind of past the, the critical stage. And so I can imagine, I could imagine in, in a reopening scenario, that you, you know, buffets are going to, it may change, right? Like right. You, you may, you may have buffets for a while you, again. And again, this is, this is laid out, not with respect to buffets, but this is laid out quite nicely in the, in the explainer video is like, you know, the, the, we, we may, we may change, right? We'll, we'll have, we'll have, we'll have, relax things. We'll watch and see how it goes. We'll tighten them back up, which again, brings me to, um, you know, so, some of the points in the, in the, in the, Report, but also there's a really cool message that I do want to read from a colleague who will keep anonymous, who's in Taiwan right now, talking about how why the situation is different in Taiwan. So anyway, yeah, yeah, it's the yeah. Um, all I have to say to react to that is like, yeah, like I mean, all all of that stuff, right? And how that how that changes the the business makeup of uh, you know of a of of a place like Golden Corral. Not to call out you know one specific business, but they do have their headquarters here in Raleigh, North Carolina, and uh, and and I've been to a bunch of the bunch of them, right? So so how does that like so so you've got X number of employees now? All of a sudden, you've got to employ. 40% more to, to serve people for, for a, a certain amount of time. And your margins are already so, so small, like thin razor, razor thin, man, it's, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't have a good answer, but that's one of the things that I think we'll have, like there, there's some long lasting effect on, on stuff like that. And even like down to, um, uh, quick serve restaurants, you know, going to, um, going to a fast food restaurant and putting my hands into, um, uh, ketchup packages or, or straws that, that we, we've already kind of designed things in a way that we're trying to be as sanitary as possible from a food safety standpoint. But, but now we've got a, it, 
it's more of a perception as opposed to a risk, but how's that going to change, right? Like how, what are we going to do, um, uh, for this? And so, so anyway, those are the, the types of questions that I've been, um, you know, uh, pulling, pulling together, um, on it. I think that we'll also have some, some long lasting hand washing and hand sanitizing, um, effects just on, on behavior. Um, but I don't know how long lasting that's going to be, right? Like, like this is, we don't have any, it's like the case law question. We have nothing to compare this to. We don't, we don't know. Um, and then, and then employee health policies. I think we're, we're already seeing, um, so many changes that are COVID-19 driven that, mm-hmm. that probably have some spillover into norovirus or, or other foodborne illness. Like, I think people are taking this more seriously than, than in the past. Yeah. And I, I do, I let, let's segue now to this, this Taiwan thing. So we'll link, yes. we'll link to an article, uh, uh, entitled why Taiwan hasn't shut down its economy, which you can read, but, but I, this is a, again, a perspective. I don't want to, this is not a person who, who said this for repeating on the podcast. He didn't say don't share it, but I don't, I'll keep him anonymous. And so, um, and I'll just read to you from some of his message here. So he says my analogy, and so he's talking about the relationship between Taiwan and China and WHO, right? And of course, as we know, uh, Taiwan and uh, China don't have a great relationship. Uh, China regard, regards Taiwan as a renegade province. Um, uh, I think Taiwan regard themselves as the, the true leadership of the country of China. You know, we'll set all that aside for, for, the, for the moment. Um, so my analogy, and this is, this is the, the person writing here, my analogy is that China is like the neighbor in the area who does questionable things, but has a good relationship with the mayor and the police. <laughs> in this case, the mayor and the police are the WHO, okay? Yeah. The neighbor caused a big problem in 2013, SARS, injuring Taiwan greatly, but the police let it go. Therefore, Taiwan began to install many safety measures, including constant monitoring of that neighbor, stockpiling 40 million face masks, setting up an entire hardware and software system and strategy, okay? This is similar to the homeowner installing lots of security and fire prevention systems and alarms and running drills every month in preparation for the next disaster. So when the alarm sounded in December, this is December 2019, uh, Taiwan was as prepared as a SWAT team that had been drilling monthly for 17 years. Taiwan had everything already prepared and learned and has and had daily public briefings for the population so they know what's going on. And this, the person continues, my suggestion is for the U.S. to invite Taiwan experts to train the U.S. and have a hotline to Taiwan open 24-7 for the next China outbreak. Um, No point in reinventing the wheel. Americans are not expected to have expertise in the Chinese language and culture or have thousands of citizens living and doing business in China (laughs) as Taiwan does. We don't expect the Taiwanese to be experts on how to work with Mexico, so there's no shame in our learning from Taiwan. Hold on. Where's my Where's my bell? There we go. That is that's really that's a really insightful um, from 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 my colleague who I will not further um, uh, describe or or out. But boy, he's 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 a he's a smart dude, and uh, I I'm pretty sure he doesn't listen. But somebody I know who listens um, has figured out who this is already. Um, so yeah, so this is a really good message. Um, again, I haven't even read the article, but I just wanted to read you from that email because this is, uh, yeah, this is this is this is this is just really anyway. It's just it's just an insight that would never have been available to me if not for knowing this person and them taking the time to write. So oh, that's awesome. Um, I so I heard um, a really I'm gonna find this a really interesting episode of the Daily. I think it was the Daily on um, South Korea 
and flattening the curve and monitoring individuals. And I'll see if I can find this, this one. I can't, of course I can't like, but I don't know. Do you ever listen to the daily? I don't, I, I don't even, Oh, Oh, speaking of listening to things. So let me, let me talk about something that I've been listening to, um, while you, while you find that. And this is a new podcast and I'm going to look it up here on my phone and it is entitled, um, the new abnormal. And this is a podcast by former Republican, uh, strategist, Rick Wilson and Molly oh, yeah. Jongfast, who are two people that I both follow on Twitter. And, uh, this is, it's a pretty good show. It's, it's only, it's a, t- it's a tight 40 minutes or so. Um, it comes from, uh, it's, it's put out by the daily beast and it, it is, it is full of lots of, um, you know, I mean, and, and Rick and Molly are aligned with me politically. Uh, Rick didn't used to be, um, but he's, he's a great, I've, I have really, I like he's him. been a guest on other podcasts that I've listened to. He's a really, he's a, he's kind of a, he's a straight shooter, Ben. Um, maybe not, by maybe both not, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not sure either side really. So here's the thing, the right hate him and the left don't trust him. So I don't think he's, he's respected by neither side, which is, is kind of cool in and of itself. So, um, yeah. And the, uh, the, the latest, and I've listened to all the episodes so far, uh, the latest one is entitled the white, the white house racist Kool-Aid man episode. So, um, yeah, good, 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 highly recommended. We will link to, uh, the, the page in, in show notes. Then it's called the new abnormal. Wow. So this was, oh my gosh, I wish I could have found, oh, maybe it's an NPR store uh, podcast. I don't know. Um, anyway, basically, um, the, you know, did what made me think about the, uh, this, this podcast was, um, uh, you know, the message from, from your colleague, um, in, in Taiwan and th- this, uh, they talk about sort of the sharing of information of movement of individuals and the contact trace tracing that, that happens there that includes like alerts that you would get on your phone that says, okay, um, you know, Joe's bar here, um, if you visited there in the last like 10 days, th- there was a person who, who, t- who tested positive, who works there. She worked, uh, it, you know, these shifts. And so if you were there during these shifts, you should be self-isolating now. And, 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 and it was, it, I wish I could find that. I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you. I'll, mm-hmm. uh, I, I can't remember which one it was, but, but basically went through sort of like using, um, uh, cameras that are in the, in the, uh, city and as well as cell phone movement to sort of say, here's where this person went. So there's like an entire like public health government agency that is not just like interviewing people. Um, but, but really like to, to really get into, uh, into, uh, contact tracing in, in a, uh, a, a realistic way that the, you know, the, the approach has been, no, no we're not just going to ask, we're actually going to track. And, and I think that that would fail here in the U S like it just wouldn't, it wouldn't go like people wouldn't, wouldn't allow that to, to happen because of, um, Liberty, Liberty, Dibbities or whatever, <laughs> Liberty, uh, Liberty, Bidibity. uh, <laughs> uh, but, but it, it was, it just, it, it just sort of, show the the different like like this like okay we we've learned from things we're going to take this really seriously we we're going to we're going to manage this in a different way um and you know similar to having 40 you know stockpiling 40 million face masks and doing uh swat style um uh surveillance and, and alarms like like this is that that different different approaches i was i like another you know just an, another one of these different international approaches um i was talking to a colleague from from brazil yesterday 
yesterday, and she shared that that her family, like the either the local government recommendations um, or the federal government recommendations, and and she she wasn't really sure, but but there are some some health authorities that are basically suggesting when you go to the grocery store, you need to like take your shoes off before you come home, before you come into your house, and get undressed as soon as you walk in the door, and put your your clothes directly into the laundry, and then go have a shower right away. And, and, and just like hearing her, you know, her, her, her telling me this, um, was like, okay, different, you know, different health authorities are looking at things very, very differently. And, and some of it's risk-based and some of it's not, but, but there's no like consistent, you know, approach to, to management and monitoring and, and, and testing, like, like everybody's, every, everybody's kind of making it up as we go along. Right. Like, and, and some are doing a better job at that than others. Right. And, and is it really a risk-based approach to have you take your shoes off before you enter your house and then strip down and take off all your clothes and take a shower, right? Like, I'm not sure that that certainly is precautionary, right? Um, but is that really doing anything to manage risk? And again, it comes back to um, what are we willing to do? What are we able to do? And yeah, and just your, your, your comment about um, um, uh, liberty, right? Or liberty, 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 dibbities. Um, and what, what is possible in the United States with respect to contact tracing and, and just general tracing? I mean, I think, I really think that contact tracing, aggressive contact tracing is going to be helpful, but the question is what, what will be tolerated, right? Um, right, exactly. And, yeah. and I'm not, not sure where, where we're there with that yet. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and do we even have the infrastructure to do it? Right. Like, oh, like well, for sure. We don't. We absolutely yeah. don't. Right. And so one of the one of the plans, I think it, and I think this was in in my heart's video was or maybe it was somebody somebody else, something else I read saying, like, look, we got a lot of people that are out of work. We should train them to be contact tracers. Right. Like like there's there. So, it, you know, there's it's the, 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 the economy is changing and it may change in a way that, you know, we, we need to let it change. Right. Because this is the thing we need to do right now. Right, right. I, I saw a tweet this morning. You remember I told you I woke up and read the internet. Uh -huh. um, one of the tweets that I that I saw was um, an advertisement for contact tracing um, individuals in New York State, um, and and it was really uh, it was uh, sent out by a journalist that I follow saying, hey. I know there's a lot of out of work journalists and one of the skills that you need to have for contact Ooh. tracing is interview skills. Yeah. So, so you should maybe think about applying for, for some of this. Whoa. Um, and yeah, so, so you really like exactly what you just said. It's like the, how things, how things change, um, based on, on the situation and where the, where the funds, where the funds go, um, uh, you know, and, and skill sets that people have might, might, might not be what they, you know, might, might not be what anybody planned to do. Like, I don't think anybody uh, went to went into schooling um, to be a, a contact tracer, but it might be what people are going to do for the next little while. Um, so huh, anyway, uh, so we want to I want to talk about um, or we want to talk about um, uh, food processing plants and meat plants. But I want to I want to do like two little things before we do that. Is that OK? Sure. OK. One thing. Let me go to my notes. Because I wrote notes, Don. Mm. I did stuff today. Well, while you while you go to your notes, I think you put this in the Dropbox, uh, which is the um, my favorite video on the internet, uh, <laughs> which is uh, the uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci cold open on SNL, um, which is I've listened to it like three or four times, and I probably it's need so to good. listen to it again. It's just it's very it's very very good, and I'm sure everybody who listens to this has probably already seen it. But it's really it's just I love I love uh, 
Brad Pitt's impression of Anthony Fauci. It's just it's he's more Fauci than Fauci himself. Right, right, right. He's it's uh, it's so good. And and again, uh, a couple episodes ago, we talked about SNL and and just how in awe I am of being able to put together a whole show. Like people are so creative and and good at this, and they've got great you know writers and and editors and all that stuff. And it was it was another um, I thought really really great episode. Um, so this it segues a little bit because a show that I want you to to watch or at least watch the first like ten minutes of um, is a Netflix show that just came out the last couple of weeks called middle ditch and Schwartz. And it is fascinating. So it's, it's long. It's, uh, this guy, um, uh, I think it's Tom middle ditch and, and Thomas middle ditch and, and Ben Schwartz middle ditch is from Silicon Valley, the comedy show on HBO and, and Ben Schwartz was, uh, he, he was, uh, he played uh, John Ralphio on, uh, on parks and rec. Um, and these two guys have a show that, you know, I, that I've gleaned from just watching this where they, they do, uh, a, maybe an hour long, long form improv based on, a, you know, five or six questions from the audience at the start. It's not like like improv shows where they're constantly asking for suggestions and they're working it in. They, they just take this like very quick interview and make an entire play out of it with just the two of them playing. Oh, so it's like a podcast except funny. (laughs) Yes. It's like a podcast except funny. And, and, and all they have are two chairs and they're, they just talk and, and they play different characters and, oh, and cool. it's been it's just been a joy like I binge there are three episodes I discovered it Friday night I finished it Saturday morning um like wow, that okay. it's all I watched this weekend and it's it, it, it's just a it, it's one of these things where I didn't even know that I, I first of all I didn't know that long form improv was a thing mm-hmm. and I didn't know that I loved it and mm-hmm. I didn't know that I needed more more of it um and so so check check it out because it's it, it, it's been the thing that, that I, you know, really, really enjoyed this week. Um, well, we do, we do love improv, like big fan of uh, who's line and, and all the shows. So, yeah. Do you know the, all the whole, those old who's line, they're all on, um, Amazon prime. Like there's on, uh, do you have the, you got, you got Amazon yeah. prime. Yep. Yeah. Right. Have you watched those? Like the old, they're like from the late, the early nineties or late eighties. They're yeah, all there. Yeah. We've, we've watched, we've watched, I think back, I don't know. We, we've watched uh, Who's Line for a long time, so uh, we've probably seen them, but it would be good, worth going back and watching them. And then, we've, of course, the British Who's Line is, is also very, very good. So Right. Oh, that's the one I mean. Oh, you so mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think we, we saw it yeah. on one of our British uh, channels. So, yeah. Yeah, it, it's really, really good. Those are the ones that I, that I think that they're a little more crass. They're a little... Uh, oh, they're, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So, so the second thing that I wanted to talk about, and this is more just a, an update. So we, I think you and I have talked, maybe it's just on Facebook or on Twitter, but we, we have chickens now we have two chickens. I don't know if we've talked about it on the, on the podcast. Um, but, but we have, we've, we've created, we, I say we, I've not done any of the construction, but Danny and, and Jack, you know, have, have completed 95% of the work on a chicken coop and a chicken run. And now we have, we have two chickens, um, who, who started out as chicks four weeks ago and now look like dinosaurs. Basically they're not quite chickens, but they're very awkward teenager chickens. <laughs> um, but, but what I wanted to, to, to t- talk about real quick was this is an ongoing experiment. This isn't just, uh, you know, we're turning into urban farmers. Um, but, but we have, um, the, the chickens will move outside in the next four weeks. And in the next couple of weeks, um, uh, a student that, that I, 
um, that I uh, uh, co-advise with with Megan Jacob, um, she's going to come out and do some environmental sampling um, to, see what, <laughs> to see what's going turned, on. First turned, of all, turned it into a research project. Yeah, because so so um, this the student. Um, um, her name's Catherine Gensler. She, uh, her, her project is all about animal interactions. And, and I might've mentioned a little bit of this, uh, like, cause we've talked about like goat yoga in the past. She, she's not this, it's not a petting zoo study. She's really interested in like agritourism and well, you know, do you, do you have goats at, at your, at your farm that people kind of, kind of go feed as while you're picking strawberries? But, but also what about goat yoga and can I adopt a llama and take it home? And, and what are the, what are the risks and, and what are the best practices and all that kind of stuff. So, so backyard chicken chickening, um, is something that Megan does and, and that I'm, we're, we're starting to get into. And so, so the idea is like, let's do some baseline environmental sampling. Let's see if there's Campylobacter and salmonella in my, in my yard now, and let's see how that changes over the next year. Um, and, and what do you do about it? Uh, is the, is the other question. So it's like, we're, we're doing, um, we're, 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 we got, we got chickens and we're doing research. Um, and, and so anyway, the, the, but the most like important part of this chicken run, um, and chicken coop is that it's also, um, the correct size to put a, um, 100 inch, um, screen and uh, projector on, uh, from the outside. Uh, so I watched, uh, an old, uh, portions of an old hockey game last night with my kids outside on the side of the chicken run. Uh, <laughs> So anyway, so that reminds me of a story which I read uh, this morning um, from Facebook um, and I will I will just we will link to it and I will read to you the headline Um, runaway sheep escape through long branch streets owner find. I, there you go. Runaway sheep. Long Branch. Is this a new Long Branch, New Jersey? It is. It is. That's where uh, my, my graduate student, uh, Dane Jensen, grew up. Ah, well, so it's, this it's is in, a, it's it's in Monmouth County. It's over. It's over. It's over by the, the shore, as they say. Local news. Local news. Local this news. Is pretty, I, I, I don't know. Have you ever explored the local news tab on Facebook? I, I find it fascinating um, for many reasons. For example, I learned that there was a, a woman who was killed crossing Route 9 in Old Bridge this morning. I learned that there was a dead body body that washed up on a beach in Middletown. Um, it's, it's a, yeah, it's, it, yeah. I, I learned that the blue angels and the thunderbirds are going to fly over, uh, parts of New Jersey and New York. Um, it's really <laughs> quite interesting what you learn. So, so you mentioned the local, um, the local news function and yeah. I started using it. I hadn't, I hadn't no, like, um, I didn't even know this existed until until you mentioned it, and so yeah, I, I keep looking at uh, at things. And in fact, um, as a spinoff of that, I have also explored Facebook Marketplace quite a bit, and that led to me texting you a picture of uh, 17 packages of McDonald's <laughs> Szechuan sauce from 2018 that are available in Apex, North Carolina, if you want to buy them at $10 a piece. Um, and I didn't, I did a little more digging on that. It's actually a reference to Rick and Morty. Yeah, it is. Yes, um, I, I, I. You didn't know that. I didn't know that. I, I'm not a Rick and Morty. Uh, I'm, am I, I, yeah, I, 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 I think I bought you a whole season of that. You did. You did. And I, and I, I didn't. I, it's still, it's in there. It's in the it's in the place to look at it <laughs> that I haven't watched. <laughs> it's in the queue. It's in the queue, Don. It's in the it's right after I watch all of the long form improv that's out there. Exactly. Uh, um, cool. Okay. So let's, let's get to, we, we, um, I know you've got a heart out at 11. Let's get to the, um, to, to the thing that we wanted to talk about, um, with our guests that never showed up, um, because they had, they had work to do. Um, 
<laughs> but they'll never listen to this and hopefully they'll be on the next one uh, anyway. But but anyway, uh, one of the things that you and I have been getting um, questions about uh, are um, because it's it's nominally linked to food safety, I think, and, and some of the stuff that we've been talking about before is, well, we've got clusters of illnesses, COVID-19 illnesses happening in food processing plants. Uh, meat plants have been really, I think, at the top of the, um, the food chain on this one uh, just because of the size and the magnitude of the clusters. But I've got some examples of non-meat um, plants uh, as well. And and we've got some, some feedback from um, from someone who uh, who we know uh, you know from the internet and and also in in real life um, a little bit about this and so uh, yeah let's let's go into a bit of a deep dive um, about it so when when people ask you about the you know are you concerned because this is the way that let me let me frame this in the way that journalists would ask this on so should people be concerned about the safety of food based on uh, COVID nineteen illnesses. At, uh, at meat processing plants and those meat processing plants shutting down, what would you tell them? I would say that I am worried uh, at least a little bit about meat plants shutting down, but not because of food safety, right? I think, and we'll link, there's, a, I think, a real nice article from the uh, SIDRAP website, uh, Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy at University of Minnesota, uh, with the headline, U.S. Food Processing Plants Become COVID-19 Hotspots, um, which I think covers the issue pretty well. Um, I'm concerned, uh, but mostly I'm concerned for the workers of those plants. I'm concerned for the people that want to buy meat that's coming from those plants. I'm concerned for the farmers who have now raised animals that will not be able to be slaughtered by those by those plants because those plants are shut down. Um, what I've tried to I, to delicately tiptoe through in the work I've been doing with the news media, and I'll be a little bit less delicate here, is the working conditions in those plants. Um, the uh, John Tyson, who's the chairman of the board of Tyson Foods, took out a full page ad in several newspapers explaining uh, what's going on here. But I wonder a little, and I'll be a little bit more aggressive here, Mr. Tyson, who I do not know, um, like what was his role in all of this, right? Like there's a reason why um, this is a a problem in meat plants, and maybe it's the nature of meat plants. Um, there's a real interesting sentence um, in this about, uh, uh, yeah, let's see, something about, um, oh, I wish I could find, I should have highlighted it. Um, but basically, the idea is that these meat, these meat plant workers work long hours and then um, spend a lot of time after hours socializing with each other, right? Um, yeah, CDC said workers often work close to one another on processing lines, stand together for long 10 to 12-hour shifts, and have high contact in the community outside of work. What this article does not say, but which is basically the truth, is that these are largely Latino workers. I suspect that a significant number of them are in the country illegally or are undocumented, and they are really good at their job. This is highly skilled labor. Um, Marler has advanced the hypothesis that past outbreaks of E. coli have been, have followed uh, um, sweeps by immigration that have basically pulled out the, right, all right. the highly skilled workers, which meant that less skilled workers come in and, and they're not as good at keeping the E. coli out of the meat supply. So I guess my question, if I had, if I had Mr. Taylor here, I would say, well, why did this happen, right? Why did you not slow the, slow the lines down, separate the workers? Um, isn't it better to have a food plant that is operation, operation, operating um, pr uh, at a uh, slower speed, 
producing less product. Maybe you have to charge a higher price for the, for the same amount of work um, uh, so that we would have that meat plant operating rather than let this happen. Right. I mean, I, so I'm a little, yeah, so I'm a little, I'm, yeah. So that's kind of, I'm, I'm, you can tell I'm still a little bit conflicted, conflicted about yeah. this, but, but that's, that's kind of my, my, uh, 30 second or two minute rant on this. Yeah, I know. And, and, and so this is something that it is one of these, like, there's so many things that are wrapped up in this. And and I think you, you nailed the, the first thing that I always kind of lead off any of my, my answers with, with, with journalists on this is like, no, the, the biggest risk, I know you're at, you're asking me about, is it safe to eat meat right now? And it's like, well, the biggest risk are the people that are in that work there, right? Like, what are we doing to protect those individuals? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and, and because, and, and it all comes back to, you know, the, the comments that we've been making over the last couple of months, because we know that the, um, that, that the most likely way to get, to get sick from COVID-19 is being around somebody else, right? Right. Who's either symptomatic or asymptomatic. And so, so that's, that's, a, that, that's something that we need to, um, to really, really focus on. And, and, you know, then I, I walk through the, um, you know, the, all, all the stuff that we've talked about when it comes to food safety, but, but, but you highlight something that is so like wrapped up in this and that uh, I had forgotten about, um, the, the stuff that Marler had, um, had tweeted, um, on this because it, it isn't, it's not a, it's not a food safety issue until you start removing individuals from the, from the chain and then trying to like still get the food out to people because there's such a, a huge demand. And, um, so certain some things that we've seen, um, you know, happen uh, uh, here as it, as it relates to this. Yeah. So so um, so uh, plants, you know, certain plants and it's not a lot, but but there are plants that are shutting down or they're reducing their their workforce. And because of that, they're reducing the number of animals that they're able to process. And that pushes back to well, what happens to all those animals and where do we where do we hold them? And and what, you know, uh, one of the things that um, that I I read some comments last week and I can't remember where this was, but basically, so let's, let's go, let's fast forward, um, a plants closed, uh, a month, right? Well, now all of a sudden we have animals that are in certain cases much larger than what we would normally have coming into this plant. And that changes everything about how we handle them. Um, and, and that can lead to other, uh, potential for, for risks. Like there, there are these like butterfly ripple effects, um, from, from this, um, one, so, so I'll, 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 let me, let me share, um, a, you know, the, a story, um, from something that, that came up for me this week was, um, I got a call from, from a colleague who was working with a producer, a fruit, a fruit producer here in North Carolina who, um, had individuals, um, on their farm, um, who, who are, uh, their staff members, harvesters that were part of, um, the, um, I can't like the H2A program, the, so this is the, this is documented, um, individuals who are harvesters that, that come from, um, uh, Mexico, uh, other parts of, uh, uh, the America, South and Central America, um, and, and, you know, may, may spend, um, you know, six months of a year here, um, harvesting. And, and so, um, they had a crew that were here. They, they needed a couple others because their, their crop is starting to come in. So, so they have, um, they had recruited two more individuals and one of those individuals, um, arrived and, um, a day later had, um, uh, symptoms, um, of COVID-19 symptoms. And, and, you know, one thing that, that you, you alluded to is not only do these individuals, um, uh, often 
what, what we know about the, the workforce, but not only do they socialize um, with each other, but but in certain in many cases, in you know my experience in the in, in the agricultural uh, world, especially in fresh fruits and vegetables, is they they also live together. Um, and so so you've got um, uh, another root of uh, of transmission, which is not just like, hey, we work really close to each other in the fields or or on a processing plant, but also we we share four of us live in a house together and we share a bathroom. Um, and, and I would say that's probably even the bigger risk, right? It's one thing to be in a meat plant in indoors versus outdoors. I think that the risks are probably less there. I think the distances are probably less. But if they're all going home to sleep in the same room that night, Right or adjacent yeah. rooms. That's that's a huge, that's a huge risk. Yeah, I'd like I'd like ab- absolutely right. So and and and, and the, the part that's really like, oh, I I don't know the 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 complicating part and how to feel about this stuff is is really difficult because this these these individuals wouldn't be in this situation if it wasn't, this is the way that we've kind of built things, right? Like, like this, the, you know, so, so, you know, we, we, at some point we're going to look back on this and, and there will be, um, there's obviously already been, been illnesses, but there are going to be deaths that, that are associated with how we have constructed the food supply system. Um, just, just because of, of exposure. And that's, that's like tragic and that's, and that's terrible. And, and, and I, I, you know, I don't know, I don't know how to feel about that. I mean, I, 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 well, I do, I, I don't feel good about it. Um, uh, so, so, in, so you know, speaking of things to feel good about, I've, I've been a little bit distracted because two kids from my neighborhood are running up and down the street, um, wearing uh, Harry Potter robes and waving wands. So <laughs> I'm a little, I'm trying to get a picture, but I'm, so I'm a little distracted. <laughs> that's awesome. That's good. Okay. Well, that's right. I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep talking. Okay. Um, so, so, um, the, the, I guess the second part of the story is, so this individual had, um, had this, you know, they, they had a the staff member who was positive, um, over the course of the week. Now, all of a sudden, um, not all of a sudden, not surprisingly, um, out of the, I think it was like 12 or 15 people that they had working for them, um, 10 of them are, are now positive, uh, five of them with symptoms and five of them asymptomatic. But, but now we, we've got, you know, let's say it's 15 people. I only have five out of my 15 staff that are able to to harvest the um, the the vegetables and the and the fruit that I have, and and now I've got to now I've got to scramble and get more staff. But but the, this is the real complicating part. Um, the individual who 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 arrived, the two individuals who arrived, um, were were on a bus of another 48 individuals who are now at different. Um, fruit and vegetable farms across North South North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia, um, who who also uh, are now part of this like contact tracing, you know, uh, complication. And and I, I didn't get an update, but my my guess is my you know I, I would I would it would not be surprising if out of those you know 50 individuals that were on that bus there's going to be you know 30% 40% maybe higher um, individuals who are positive for covid-19 that are that are you know now working at multiple other farms that are in the same kind of you know living situation and work situation as this as this farm right like so so the the the, the ripple of this is is we're we're not I don't even think we're 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 there yet we're we're a few weeks away from it but it's it, you know the Something that that stuck 
um, with me in that um, in the Tyson um, full page ad that you, you mentioned from the um, Sidrap paper or Sidrap article is this you know, this line of uh, millions of animals, chicken, chickens, pigs, cattle will be depopulated because of the closure of food processing facilities. The food supply chain is breaking. Um, that that's a really um, uh, alarmist statement, but but it's it's not. It's, you know, as I look at this situation, it, it's not probably overblown because we're, we're you know, how what, what are we going to do with with harvesting um, if some even if it's just a small portion, even if it's just like one percent or four percent or whatever of the, the harvesting uh, staff um, are, are sick and in self-isolation, it, 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 that that really matters. Like that's not it's not it's it's not insignificant. So, so I'm not, I, I, I don't have a, I don't have a sense and how I've kind of answered a lot of these questions. Like, you know, I don't, I, I know a little bit about the supply chain. Um, and I know enough to, to talk through what I just talked about, but I don't know what, how, how resilient it is. And I don't know how, how farmers are going to react to this and processing plants and what, you know, what it means, even in restaurants as we, as we open up. Um, I, I, I think there are going to be some impacts. I don't even know how, you know, what they're going to be and what it's going to mean for food prices and availability. Um, but, but, you know, the, the, it, it, it's not something to sweep away. I, I think that's the, that's where I've kind of arrived at. It's like we need to really keep our eyes on this. Well, and and let me let me make a um, a point from my my democratic socialist soapbox, and then we'll we'll pivot in a way that I think you'll find interesting. So so Tyson wrote, "quote The food supply chain is breaking." Um, I, I, end quote. I would say, um, no, Mr. Tyson, the way that you have designed your company has made the food supply chain very susceptible for disruption in this particular mm. way, right? And yeah. I've heard people, I don't I don't think it's in the SIDRAP article, but I've heard people advocating um, that we need, you know, the solution to this is more family farms and smaller food processors. And, and Ben, let me suggest that maybe what we need in this country is more wet markets. Uh, do you have a thought on that? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, did, you, did you see that? Did you see where I was I, going? I did. I see. I see where you're going. That's another. That's on the list. It's on the list. Yeah, yeah. So maybe, 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 maybe we need more wet markets. I don't really. So, so Don, just on the wet markets, I'm not really into. I'm going to have two chickens. I'm also probably not going <laughs> to slaughter those two chickens. So I'm not interested in going somewhere and picking out two live chickens and then slaughtering them, and then having them slaughtered for me. Um, but right. so yeah. this, so this is yeah. some feedback from um, one of our one of our Twitter uh, uh, followers, uh, Maha, um, uh, who uh, her her Twitter handle is E M M O F C. We've not mentioned her before on the show, but she's uh, she's been tweeting at us a lot lately and been very enthusiastic about some of the things that we've been writing about. And she she asked us. She said, "So w- would you guys talk about wet markets?" And I think. The, the part of the problem we'll link to the Wikipedia page on wet market, um, but it's. Maybe we'll also talk about this uh, Nature Medicine article, but I, th- I think I, I don't. I've visited what I think are probably wet markets, but basically the idea of a wet market is, which is, and I think the term was coined as a, a way of describing a place where you buy food that's not a supermarket. Um, and, and basically, if you look at the uh, the uh, the picture on the Wikipedia page, um, which is a snapshot from a wet market in Hong Kong, which basically shows animal uh, uh, slaughtered animal parts 
parts, um, parts of slaughtered animals sort of sitting out in the open. Um, there's there it might be next to a vegetable stall. Um, these are basically places that are very close. There's tiny little shops, and people go to do their daily shopping. and And it has been, it's thought that these wet markets are perhaps. Um, linked to past pandemics. Uh, the, there's a thought that the wet market is linked to the current pandemic. Um, the, the uh, you know, that their wet markets were banned from holding wildlife in China after the SARS outbreak, which was believed to be direct, directly tied to those practices. Um, yeah, I don't know. So what are your, what are your thoughts on, have you, do, have you done much thinking about wet markets and do you have any more thoughts? Well, so yeah, I mean, I've done I've done a little bit of thinking about it. I think that one of the things about wet markets, and this 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 is where things get a little bit like dicey, right? Like there's there becomes a lot of assumptions about the the origins of the virus. And you put a really nice um, article in uh, to the Dropbox that we'll link to mm -hmm. um, about about this. Um, where was this? It, yeah, so it, the article is from Nature Medicine. It's Nature entitled Medicine. "The Proximal Origin of SARS-CoV-2," and it, it basically goes through and talks about the the genome. Uh, of the of the virus and the analysis of the of the genome and and a lot of stuff that I barely understand about the polybasic furin cleavage site and O-linked glycans, um, but basically uh, laying out like what does the the molecular biology, what is the what are the genetics of the virus tell us, um, and basically it shows that it was probably from a bat. Um, there's been suggestion about um, pangolin, which is another kind of animal that's not a bat, um, as being a source. Um, and then again, lays out the hypothesis about natural selection in humans following the zoonotic transfer. And there's some evidence apparently of that. Um, there's, there's some evidence of selection for, based on what we know about how these viruses are transmitted. There's some evidence that there was some, some, uh, selection going on. Um, but, but again, I read, read the article. I'm not qualified to talk about it. Um, but I found it really interesting and like I said, I, I kind of understood like maybe 50% of what I read. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. No, I was the same way. But what like and, and this is the like the, this is the the wet market conversation comes from a lot of assumptions. And I think that this and I'll read something from the conclusion of this this article that that to me as you know, as scientists, I think we're we're not. I, I'm not prepared to say that we know exactly where this where this came from. And these uh, these authors who looked at the genetic um, uh, variability and, and evolution of this uh, of SARS-CoV-2 said, for example, if SARS-CoV, I want to make sure I'm going to highlight with my um, pronunciation intonation, if is the thing. If SARS-CoV-2 pre-adapted in another animal species, then there is a risk of future reemergence events. In contract, if the adaptive process occurred in humans, then even if repeated zoonotic transfers occur, they're unlikely to take off without the same series of mutations. And and so so it's like here and I I was. I did an interview with the counter. I mentioned the counter um, in an episode five or six episodes ago as, as one of the places that I really I'm reading on a daily basis. It used to be called the new food economy. Um, I did an, uh, an interview a couple of weeks ago about um, zoonoses and and you know basically the the food safety issues around around being around animals and and wet markets came up and I was like look here's here's the thing we being around animals is is something that can lead to 
um, the chance of movement of viruses from one species to another, whether that's in a wet market or whether that's in production, whether that's in a processing plant, all of those things are all together, all, like all together. Um, it, it's the more chances, the, the more likelihood. The, the answer to me of saying like wet markets are the cause and we need to do what we can to to work with WHO to to um ban wet markets in China is like racist in one <laughs> like on one end. Um but but also it misses the it misses the the whole the whole issue. It's not about it's not about wet markets. It's about how do we manage how we handle animals and what we do around animals. And, and there's not one, there's not one route here and all of it, all of it matters, but, but it's not, it's not just one sort of, sort of function of this. And it's, and it's kind of like, to me, the same way of like, well, then we should ban petting zoos. Well, there are risks associated with them and we can, we can manage those risks or, or hopefully we can manage those, those risks if we can, if we start thinking about it in, in that way. But it's not a, it's not a wet market versus supermarket question for me, um, because I don't think it's nearly that it, it, that simple. And and right here, when we look at the evolution of the virus, it's 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 a big if. We don't even know how this, like where where it is. This is one this is one theory. And then if you go to other theories, it's uh it's five G towers did it. And well. maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, Ben, we have to be fair and explain both sides of that because um, we're journalists. No, we're not. We're scientists. We don't have to play both sides. Oh. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm in favor of petting zoos as long as we don't allow anyone to actually touch animals there, um, which I think would probably require them to be na- renamed to something else. <laughs> um, I, I'm not sure. I, that's 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 said as in a bit of a, a jest. So one of the things I, th- I found very interesting in this Nature Medicine article, though, was the exploration of the idea that it was not created in the lab. I think the evidence is pretty clear. Yes that this virus was not created in a lab. The question which has been raised is whether it is a, a laboratory accident. And and we will we'll link to an article from um, the uh, Bulletin of the Atomic Scientist from the end of March, uh, which is by a reporter named Matt Field, who also interviewed me for a different story. But, I, but this one in particular, so there's a colleague of mine, uh, Richard Ebright, uh, who works at the Waxman Institute, um, who serves with me on the, I don't think this is a, a secret, he serves with me together on the Rutgers University Biosafety Committee. And he he is a huge advocate for laboratory safety. Um, he looks at it from the perspective of a microbiologist rather than as a, a food food microbiologist. So, for example, we had a we had a question about um, what was the um, like a, a lab a company was sending um, killed virus uh, to us, and the question was, has it had it been properly killed? And his you know logic was, well, we need to make them test every batch. And my question is, well, is it killed by heat? And then I didn't say this on the call, but maybe I should have. It's like, well, we have a long history in food safety of not relying on testing to assure whether something has been done. But let's let's ask about the process and, you know, ask for their their thermocouple data and their their calibration logs. Right. Like but I didn't I didn't want to turn it into a lecture on, on how HACCP, um is, is the way to to to, to go. But but I mean, it, it, it's interesting. Um, like I said, Richard has been very vocal and has been interviewed multiple places I'm saying that he thinks that it could be a lab accident and and but mostly just talking about that you know people are not careful 
powerful enough in their laboratories. And, and he's, he's got a, he's got a, you know, a, a history um, that he legitimately comes to because of, because of those issues. So anyway, um, I just thought it was really interesting. And, and again, I encourage everybody to read the, read the nature medicine article at least a couple times um, <laughs> till, till, it, till it makes sense to you. Right, right. Well, and on that lab, so, so again, this is one of the, the other things that I think that there's been like lots of like allusion to racism on this is that like if it was a lab accident, it's because it's from China. And so I just j- just will throw this in the, <laughs> in the show notes uh, uh, of, of something that that I of just a story that that is that I followed a lot back in 2007 and, and that it led to really like, you know, revisiting lab biosafety issues. And, and so this is a, another great SIDRAP article uh, from uh, September 2007 entitled CD details problems at Texas A&M Biodefense Lab, and and there was um, really what uh, what was investigated were lab workers infected with uh, brucella and uh, coxiella, um, and uh, then the lab got suspended, and there was a whole bunch of like you know great things. There was a nice report that said um, CDC hadn't uh, hadn't approved some things. There were not people just weren't careful, right? Like so, this isn't. It's not just like lab issues happen in China, I guess is my my point. Lab issues can happen where people aren't careful and there are not careful people in lots of different places. Yeah, well, and I just I just Googled uh, Rutgers lab accident and uh, there's an article uh, which which is again another article about Richard Ebright, um, who basically appeared before Congress in 2014 after a spate of accidents at federal labs, um, one of which belonged to the personnel at the CDC, uh, one in which personnel at the CDC were exposed to anthrax, and so, um, and he's got he's got some strong strong opinions. I'm I'm, I'm uh, we we often uh, I don't want to say we come to blows. We often disagree. <laughs> <laughs> Um, not, and again, but as I always tell my graduate students, like, look, you guys, we have to be really careful in my lab because I serve on the university biosafety committee. It would be really bad if we, if we had an accident here. So, um, right. and it's been, it's yeah. been, it's been, it's been good. And, and again, so anyway, we've kind of, we've kind of got pretty deep into the weeds away from wet markets here, but, uh, but I think lab, lab safety is, 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 it certainly is, is an issue we need to think about with respect to this uh, particular problem we're facing. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, well, and so, so just, um, you know, in, in the, uh, I'm, I'm cognizant of, of your heart out. And, and so I want just coming back to, um, the question around processing plants and, 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 and issues, I think one of the things, and I'll just circle back to one of the questions that I got is related to, to restaurants. One of the long lasting effects here that I think we may see is how does the food processing industry adapt to social distancing and, 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 and what is that, what does that even mean is it possible the machinery that we're and and the infrastructure that's been created doesn't it doesn't lend itself to this and and right. so uh, it's it, and and it's not like a and I, let, let me step out it's not a processing issue either it if we look at um uh fruit and vegetable harvesting there's not a lot of social distancing that happens on um in, in some of the automatic harvesters where you've got 30 people that are sitting around this like thing that's being pulled behind a tractor and 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 just like that I don't know. I don't know what to, these are, these are really hard questions, um, to, to answer. There's going to be some smart, um, engineers that, that refocus probably because of this. Um, but, but that just, you know, all of a sudden I'm, I'm, a million dollars of investment into one one piece of equipment that makes me really efficient at getting lettuce out of the fields. Uh, what do I do? Right? Like, I, you know, how am I gonna? Am I now gonna spend another million dollars on something that makes me less efficient? But 
leads to better social distancing? I don't know. Well, and I think there's a really nice analogy here to um, equipment sanitation, right? Like for, for years, food processing plant equipment was designed to be good at what it did and not necessarily easily cleanable, right? And so we've, we've mm-hmm, had mm-hmm. kind of a bit of a revolution, but we're still not there yet. Um, I think that the solution is re- to require people that design this equipment to actually take it apart and clean it themselves. Every piece of equipment that they design, they have to clean it every day for a month or something um, so that they learn um, like how, how, you know, you can't have uh, there again, there's, there's been certain advances in design. You don't, you don't want to have covers that can't be removed. You don't want to have nooks and crannies. Right. So, and I think that probably the same thing can happen with respect to worker safety, given the, what we know about the transmission of the virus. And so try to think about how you, how you redesign a meat processing plant, how you redesign a vegetable harvesting um, equipment or, or a packing house, right. In a way that uh, allows you not necessarily to always operate, under pandemic social distancing, but, but that, that can adapt to that in the future. So anyway, somebody should, uh, somebody should fund some research on that. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Absolutely. Well, and let's go back to the, one of the things that, that we talked about earlier about lawyers and, and insurance. Um, what, what, you know, what, when are we going to see, I, I mean, I, my guess is soon, when are we going to see lawsuits from, um, essential workers who were, um, exposed and got sick from COVID-19, not because they were essential workers, but because of the, the environment and how, um, how, how they were, um, and the infrastructure that they had to work within. Well, Um, I think, I think, think in fact, I think, in fact, there's a lawsuit already at one of these meetings. So, um, you know, uh, cause that was mentioned by a reporter that I talked to. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's happening, right? Yeah. And how does that change? How do those lawsuits change the the industry? Right. Like we've seen lawsuits in, in the food safety world have a have a drastic change on, on what we focus on and how um, how we uh, audit things and, and and, you know, preventive controls. Like, I mean, the 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 the, the money movement um, and, and sort of penalties associated with lawsuits are really, um, they're, they're drivers, they're, they're change drivers in the, in, in the food industry. So, yeah. Um, so when, when you said lawyers and insurance, I almost thought you were going to make a reference to, uh, Warren Zevon lawyers against and money, but I've done that now. So we can officially link to the <laughs> video. <laughs> Perfect. Good job. Good job. Um, I, so, so there's, I, I only have one more thing and I didn't put this in the, um, in the, show notes, mm-hmm. but, uh, what, what so th- I'm gonna put you on the spot here. Mm-hmm. Um, what, uh, I don't know if you read, but, uh, Chipotle's paying $25 million to settle foodborne illness charges. And there's, uh, to like in fines to resolve criminal charges from outbreaks. Did you read any of this stuff? Uh, I did. I did. I'm sitting here, um, it, sitting literally, I don't know if you can, you can see this here, Ben, literally on my desk, I have a giant stack of, uh, uh, Chipotle gift cards. Um, not for me, not for me. Um, I asked them, I reached out and I said, Hey, are we're, we're not having graduation this year. This kind of brings it back to pandemic, right? Oh, we're not having graduation yeah. this year. Would you guys give us some gifts? Uh, we give out gift bags. Can you send us some virtual, um, gift cards? And they, they couldn't, but they could send me physical gift cards. I also reached out to a friend of the show, uh, Chip and, and former guest on the show, Chip, uh, uh, Manuel, 
uh, Manuel. How do you say his last name? I say man. I say Manuel. Manuel. But it might be Manuel. Yeah, yeah I think we called him Manuel on the podcast. That was we did. That was racist. Um, it was. Uh, uh, he sent me little packets of uh, of Purell. Um, but I want to read. I want to read to the the card from Chipotle. It says, "For your graduating seniors, from your friends at Chipotle, guac and roll." And there's a little picture of a guacamole uh, that's uh, avocado that's got a little pit uh, in its it, where its tummy is and smiling. So. Um, yeah, I think it's a good thing. I mean, good. I think Chipotle's. I mean, again, I'm, I'm on record as being in the pocket of a uh, big Chipotle. Big but, Chipotle, uh, yeah, big burrito. They, I think big, it is. big burrito. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, I think they're doing the right thing. I mean, they 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 screwed up, and they've they've again, they're kind of like I mean, Jack in the Box, right? Jack in the Box yep. is an example of a company that that got religion around food safety, and I think Chipotle's done the same thing. So I, I I'm 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 glad to see it, and I I think that they're helping. That's helping to put put it behind them. I agree. I mean, I think that was my my thought, right? Like this, these outbreaks have been held out there over their head and for for a while. And I think it took them a while to get into the the religion of food safety that that you mentioned. Um, and and here here here's here's resolution, right? Twenty five million dollar criminal fine. Um, we're we're gonna we're gonna accept that we did some stuff wrong. And then the the report actually does a pretty good job talking about um, you know without mentioning culture of food safety, talking about culture of of uh, you know, um, pushing managers and employees to work while ill and, and sort of saying, okay, we, let's recognize that that was, that is terrible. We shouldn't be doing that. Um, here, let, let's move past it. Here's our, here's our fine. Let's we're, we're, we're getting, we're much better at this now. Um, so, so anyway, we'll, we'll link to the food safety news article, um, on, on this, but I, I think, you know, based on tweets, I think this is the, um, and in the food safety news article, it says right at the start right at the top, this is the largest fine ever of its kind. Um, so, uh, operators of Chipotle Mexican girl incorporated have agreed to pay $25 million to resolve criminal charges. And so again, this is something that I didn't really have a good sense of before I got closer to the world of law and food safety and following things, but this is just the criminal charges. Obviously there are many civil charges civil lawsuits um, that are probably still in process around Chipotle that they will um, settle or or you know go to trial whatever um, who knows on that process but this is just the criminal charges so 25 million dollar criminal charges uh, fines related to the criminal charges to um, uh, to settle that that process is uh, that's a big deal right and, and I remember we talked about the, the fact that there were even criminal charges right and that that was kind of a big deal that criminal absolutely. charges were being brought uh, by the feds right and that's that's very unusual. And so this is for sure, this is the largest ever uh, of its kind and, and a one, one of a kind and hopefully one off um, that, you know, we won't see this again. But yeah, this was, this shows that, that, that folks were pretty serious. Yeah. 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 So, so anyway, that was a little, uh, little food safety uh, Chipotle tidbit um, before we, before we finish uh, things. And uh, I think, I think that's a show. We hit all the stuff that was on my list. Yeah. No, it's uh, a good for one today. Absolutely. Um, all right. Well, Don, um, as always, uh, like I said, I got I, I got prepared for our talk last night. M got my coffee all ready. Got my <laughs> microphone ready. And it, I like and it the ones off. where you prepare. I was just so like, I, it's weird. I was just so excited to do this today. Like like so much so last night that I was like, I got to go to bed early so I don't <laughs> sleep through this. Um, 
and and it's a it was just a different it was a different feel because and I say this in all um, in all seriousness you and uh, uh, and I uh, had a call with with our colleague Michelle last week which I thought was at a different time and I got up five minutes before what I thought that time was and it was actually an hour later and I felt like oh my gosh I can't talk about this right now and and then I found out it was I was over uh, prepared but this one was like oh I got to make sure that I don't do that again today so um, so anyway today was uh, it, it's been it's always a pleasure to to talk to you. Um, and this was, uh, I'm glad I, I'm glad I, I prepped myself at least last night so I could be ready to, to, to have a nice conversation. So thanks again, Don, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Just got a picture of the Harry Potter kid, but I don't know if you can see him because he's hiding. He's hiding behind a tree. He's or he's sitting next to a tree. Oh, you got to send, send it to me. This is hilarious. So I don't know if you heard, but my son is uh, currently doing a, a, a drum lesson oh, with his no. music teacher. Online. I did not hear that. Yeah. So his drums are are in the next room, but it's it's through. Uh, it was an addition, so there's brick in between us. So I, it's not that, but I can hear a I, little bit. I didn't. I I couldn't hear it. Yeah, Good, you, you, cool. you can't, you, this kid is in the shadow of a tree. You cannot see him, but I will send it to you. We're, uh, oh, um, we watched, so, so I, you know, I talked about the, um, Marvel stuff. We've been watching Agent Carter, which is on Disney yeah. Plus, And it was on ABC. It's really good. It's like a whole like period piece that's related to Marvel and it's Howard Stark. And anyway, we, we, we were now like four episodes into it and the kids love it. Cool. It's really it's good. So, um, uh, okay. So, so this one's yours, right? Yep. Are you good? Do you have, yep. I'm t- okay. Yep. Cool. I was going to offer to do this now at 11, but now I had someone who wants to talk to me at 11. Uh, so, nah, no worries. So, okay. Um, uh, so two weeks, two weeks from today is the, Oh m- yeah. May, no, that's not right. I was like May 19th. That can't be right. It's going to be May 12th. Uh, I've got a nutrition graduate faculty meeting at 11, but that's, you know, I, I, I probably should go to that um, since they're doing it on Zoom. So we could do nine to eleven, or we could do nine to one. Yeah. Nine to eleven again. Nine to eleven. 
Yeah, 9 to 11 is good. I've got um, – we have uh, uh, North Carolina Agriculture Research Service Assistant Director Candidate uh, that I have to go to an interview uh, at 1 o'clock. So oh, let's do cool. 9 o'clock. Right. Done. Yeah. And that will mean – if I can do it again, means I'll get all my stuff ready to go the night before. My coffee will be re- like ready to just hit the button. It'll be perfect. Cool. Um, okay, so this one was two ten. Yeah. So the next one's two eleven. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. Two eleven, two twelve, whatever. Whatever it takes. <laughs> I sent you. Yep. I sent you some. I, I grabbed a bunch of titles. I sent them to you in text. I think. Oh, I thought I did. Oh yeah yeah. Oh, yeah, there I did. Yep. So let me, let me know. Let me know what you think. Oh, man. More, more Fauci than Fauci himself, I think. And it lends itself to a good picture, too. It does. I also and, like Liberty Divities. Yeah. Liberty Divities is good. But I don't know. Yeah. Either one of those is good. Okay. Well, All right. Cool. Yeah. I, th- I think I got an idea for, uh, uh, for Liberty Divities that might okay, work. Okay. Good. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. All right. All right. Good. We'll have fun at your meeting and right. I'll uh, talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.